All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. It's good to see you all. So today we're going to talk about TikTok. And the reason we're going to talk about TikTok is because, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a huge TikTok influencer. Huge TikTok, yes. Huge TikTok creator. I don't think it's an influencer. I think it's Instagram. <laughs> you see already revealing my true colors. Hey, Marnie. Good morning. Good to see you. So TikTok, here's what I know. Last night, uh, in preparation, you know, I do prep for these classes. So last night I had to do some hardcore TikTok prep. Because if we wrote that the class is about TikTok, so we had to get TikTok right. So you guys ready for the latest TikTok hand motion situation? You guys ready? Wait, wait, hold on. Let me start again. <laughs> All right, I don't know what happens. That's what, thank you, thank you. That's basically what happens on TikTok. If you go to TikTok now, you'll see everyone's doing this. Boom, 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 boom. Then there's kind of like a swipe up, a swipe down, maybe a side to side, and then you repeat it again while you have text explaining something that's interesting about your life or not interesting, depending on who you're asking. Why do I say this? I say this because to get that right, I don't know if you noticed, but I started and then I stopped and started again. You know why? Because it's not necessarily the most intuitive thing to do TikTok hand motions at the beginning of Kabbalah and Coffee. And thus, and thus, I had to take some time to think about exactly what motions, what order, and how to pull it off. Which leads me into today's topic. There are two types of, two seats of influence in the human being. This is going to be very important for a profound mystical conversation today. There are two primary sources of influence within the human body, within the human, the human uh, um, experience. One is what we call seichel or chachma which means wisdom or intelligence or wisdom. And the other is ratzon, which means will or desire. The difference between them is like the difference between raising your hand when you need to versus doing a TikTok hand motion dance. Or I don't know if you call it dance, but TikTok hand motion extravaganza. <laughs> What's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is that when you need, I'm going to start with TikTok. When you need to, so my wife tells me that um, to get the right TikTok reel, it could take hours of work to get the right, to get, to get it exactly right, to get it filmed right, to get the timing right. Sometimes there's dance choreography going on, right? To get it exactly right, it's a very complicated, very complex um, process. Like for the real, for the real mumchim, for the real experts, which highlights this idea, this truth about influence. When something is coming from the head, when you have to think about something, it typically takes time, right? Oh, somebody wrote something, it takes time to look spontaneous. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Yes, Donna, correct. It takes a lot of time for something to look spontaneous. When something is being controlled by the mind, right, by our thoughts, so it typically takes time to go from our heads to figure things out in our heads, in our head, and then to feel it, to feel it, to connect with it emotionally, and then for it to be manifest in a physical way in our physical reality, in our physical actions. So the process is, and this is a process that if you've studied Kabbalah a little bit, you know about this process, it goes head, heart, body. Head, heart, action. It's kind of like the human being standing upright. So what's at the top? What's at the top of the chain? We have the head, the seichel. And then further down a little bit, we have the heart. So you have intelligence, emotions, and then, again, if you're standing up and you're not lifting your hands, so then below your heart are your hands and your feet, which are the more practical implements of, uh, of the human body. So we have the seat of intelligence, the seat of emotions, and then the, um, what would you call them, the facilitators, the hands and the feet that facilitate what we thought about, what, we, what, what we're feeling, and get it done. The way Kabbalah describes this is that anything that originates in the head is going to take some time in order to go through that system. So we have to process it in the head, and then we have to think about how we, or we have to start feeling it in our heart, and then having to do it. So it takes time. It literally takes time between the first moment that we thought about it until it actually gets done because it is something guided by the mind. So again, in a choreographed dance, right? If you're, if you're trying to remember the steps, right? If you're trying to think about, okay, wait, where should I be moving? How should I be turning? What legs should I be lifting, etc.? If you're thinking about, If you're thinking about that, right? Not something that's already second nature because you've practiced it a thousand times, you don't even think about it. If, when you're thinking about it, it necessarily takes some time between the thought and the execution. Whereas, and this is the contrast, something that originates not from the mind, but from the level, from the, from the space of ratzon, which, is, which we call will or desire, that does not take any time to implement. So again, going back to my example, you decide you want to walk over to grab a bagel. It's not like your mind says, well, I mean, your mind is involved, obviously, but there's a desire to go, to, 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 to stand up and go get a bagel. You're not intellectually telling your feet to move, to, to lift up, you know, to move one foot, the other foot, the other foot. It's kind of like you want, and immediately the body springs into action. Whereas something that, that originates solely in a space of chachma, in a space of intelligence, necessarily requires, will always require some amount of time to filter from the mind to the heart, or to feel it and to, to want it, and then want it in the heart, and then to get it done. The reason there's a difference between these two goes back to a very powerful Kabbalistic idea, which is at the core of today's conversation. And that is, there's a fundamental distinction between intelligence and desire. Intelligence is what we call in Kabbalah, ar in a keli. 
Whereas, I'm going to translate these words in a moment. Whereas Ratzon, will, is an armakif that doesn't have a keli. Let me translate. So chachma, wisdom, intelligence, is a form of a light that needs a vessel. Okay, it's called an arpnimi, it's called an inner light. And the definition of inner light is that it's a light that requires a vessel to operate, to function. I'm trying to think of a good example here. I mean, intelligence, right? So the, the wisdom that we have, the intelligence that we have, requires a brain within which to function. So chachma, wisdom, is our light in a keli, in a vessel. Whereas ratzon, will, is an armakif. It's an encompassing light. And an encompassing light, by its own definition, why is it called encompassing? Because it's not inside a vessel. It's not located, it's not localized inside any specific vessel. So certain things require a very specific vessel within which to operate. And certain things don't require a vessel within which to operate. They just, they just shine. The difference that I always use to illustrate, uh, the, the example that I always use to illustrate the difference between our panimi and our makif, that which is of, the, uh, of an imminent nature versus that which is of a transcendent or encompassing nature, is I usually use the example of water. No, I usually use the example of intelligence. Intelligence versus light. And you've, if you've been to my classes before, you've, um, yeah, you've, uh, you've heard me say this uh, many times. So when, when teaching or when studying, what's happening ideally is that information, wisdom, is going inside, inside your mind. Right? So if you're in a class like this, so I'm doing the talking for right now at least, so hopefully what's happening is some ideas that I'm sharing are able to, to, to go inside your mind and you're able to understand what I'm saying. So that's a process of an arpnimi, of an inner light, where there's, there's some measure of, of, of influence being, being given or some, ide some ideas being shared and it's going inside the vessels of the recipient. So we call that R Bekele, light inside a vessel. Right, so there's the idea, and then there's the container that's housing the idea. Now, in any time you're dealing with a system of R and Kaylee, of light and vessel, the way that works is because the light is matched to fit the vessel. So if you take, if you take a small vessel, and you try to put a big light inside that small vessel, it's not going to fit. In fact, as we'll say later on, and we're going to start chapter 9 of our discourse, as we're going to say later on in chapter 9, not only will the large light not fit in the small vessel, the large light is going to mess up the small vessel. So if we move away from light and speak about liquid, right? So it would be the same thing. If you try to put a lot of liquid with a lot of force into a small and fragile cup, not only is the liquid not going to be held by the cup, it's going to shatter the cup. So if you take like a fire hose, like that force of, of liquid coming out, and you put it and you, and you hold like a, a fine crystal glass, 
Yeah, it's not, it's not going to work. You're not going to get any water inside the cup. On the contrary, the cup is going to break. Why? Because there's too much, and I know it's liquid, but I'm using the metaphor light, or I'm using liquid as a metaphor for the light. There's too much light in the vessel. And what happens when you have too much light in too little vessel, as we know from Kabbalah with the shattering of the vessels, the vessels shatter and nothing, nothing is collected. So getting back to our example of education, if someone's teaching, if the teacher is teaching, and the teacher is teaching something that's too, that's too advanced for the student, what's going to happen is not only will the student not be able to understand what the teacher is saying, but the teacher is going to confuse the student and make the student unsure of things that they thought they knew beforehand. Are you with me? That's, that's likened to the shattering of the vessel. You take too big of, the, of a light and put it in too small of a vessel, not only is the vessel not able to contain the light, the light can damage the vessel. Going back to our education example, the child might walk out of that lesson more unsure than when they walked in. So when they walked in, they thought they knew the topic. Now they walk out and they're like, I have no idea what just happened. Not only I didn't get the new information, my existing information has been unmoored, has been you know, discombobulated. Discombobulated, yes. Has anyone ever been combobulated? To be discombobulated, these are the questions that we ask here at Kabbalankov. Okay, back to our narrative. So that is the nature of R and Kaylee. Light and vessel, every day of the week, 10 out of 10 times, 100% of the time, light and vessel operate in the language of Kabbalah in an R Panimi way, in an inner way. In an inner light way. What does it mean, inner light? It means that the light is supposed to go inside the vessel, be contained by the vessel. That means that the light has to be fitting to the vessel. The vessel has to be able to contain the light. Everything has to match, and the light goes inside. When that happens, though, there's something else that happens. The light becomes localized inside that vessel. You with me? Because the light is trained for that vessel, and then it goes inside that vessel. So now the light is localized inside that vessel. And for it to move somewhere else, there's another process of transmission that has to happen between the vessel that now houses the light and a new vessel, which that first vessel would transport it over to. You with me on that? So it's kind of like, think about liquid, right? So not a fire hydrant in a, in a crystal glass, but let's say a, a regular... Um, as I turn to our water machine. So water with a, we have a water machine here, one of those things with a little spigot. So you open it up just so to get enough of a, of a slow flow to fill up your cup and you close it. You close the spigot right before it overflows or well before it overflows. So now you have that light, so to speak, the liquid in, contained in the vessel. Good. So it matches. It's not overflowing. It's not destroying the cup. Good, it fits. What happens now if you want to move it from one vessel to another? So now you have to take that cup, take another cup, and carefully right, pour it from one to the other. What happens if you're not careful? You might spill the water. right? It might, it might go everywhere. So one, one of the things that I find very curious, this happens to me all the time. And, and, and in order to explain this, let me give you a preface. Um, on Shabbat, so one of the 39 categories of prohibited labor on Shabbat is cooking. So we don't cook on Shabbat. So how do you eat food? What do you, what do you eat on Shabbat? You cook before Shabbat. Good news is, you've got six days before Shabbat to cook. 
So you can, you can cook. And by the way, if, you're, if you think I'm joking about six days, listen, first of all, okay, not everything should you cook on Sunday for Shabbat. You know, maybe it's not good practice. But the Talmud does say that there were rabbis who every day would live with Shabbat. How? Whatever day it was, if they would go into the marketplace and see a good fish, they would say, ah, that's going to be my Shabbos fish. And if they went to the market the next day and found a better fish, they would say, ah, I'm going to buy that fish and I'll eat the other one tonight for dinner. So it was always living with Shabbat. But that's not necessarily cooking for Shabbat, but nonetheless. So one of the things that we don't do on Shabbat is cook. So Thursday, Friday, whatever, you have time to cook, you cook before Shabbat. What happens if you want to make yourself a cup of coffee? Aha. So coffee, yeah, so what, what happens with coffee? So forget about the, the, the machines that are electric and, you know, whirling and whizzing and all that stuff. That's already, that's already electronics, which we're going to stay away from. But what about simple, like, instant coffee? Right, think about it. Instant coffee, yes, instant co- I'm not advocating instant coffee or not instant coffee, because as some of you may or may not know, I don't drink coffee even though I teach a class called Kabbalah Coffee, which you may or may not be at right now. Nonetheless, I don't drink coffee myself. I'm more of a tea guy. Back to our story. Instant coffee. So you want all you want, Shabbat morning, right? You want a cup of coffee. So how do you pull it off? Instant coffee. Or you're not going to use a machine that, 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 that you hit, hit buttons, but what do you do? So you go over. We have right here, for those of you not here, we have a, one of these guys. Yeah, you see that? One of these guys right here? Okay, with a little spigot. Okay, so what do you do? So you take a cup and you stand beneath the spigot. Okay, you should not stand beneath the spigot. You put your cup beneath the spigot. You open up the hot water. You fill up your cup. No coffee yet. You pour it into a second cup. Yeah? And for good measure, you pour it back into the first cup. And then you put in your coffee grounds. Why? Because by pouring it from one cup to the other, it diminishes the heat. And thus, halachically, from a Jewish legal perspective, it's not considered to be cooking the grounds, the instant coffee grounds, at that point. Because otherwise it would constitute some measure of cooking of the coffee grounds. The same thing with shuwa tea. Now, even though the coffee grounds are already roasted or not, whatever, they, whatever happens, whatever is processed with the, with the coffee grounds, there's a notion in halach and Jewish law that says, yesh bishel achar bishel, which means that there is cooking after cooking. You can cook something halachically. It's considered to be cooked. It's considered to be cooking even though it's already been cooked before. So what, what that means is, you with me on this? Did I lose anybody yet? No? You guys with me? Sort of? All right. Here we go. If you have, for example, some chicken soup fr- that you cooked on Friday, and you ate it on Friday night, and now it's Shabbat afternoon, and you say to yourself, I have chicken soup. This is great. Who wouldn't love some chicken soup Shabbat afternoon? That's, that's fantastic. So you have, let's say you have a fire that's already on from before Shabbat. You take your pot of chicken soup from the fridge and you put it on the fire. And you say to yourself, I'm not cooking the chicken soup. I already cooked it. So I'm not cooking on Shabbos. So here's, here's the halachic take on that. Yesh bishalach or bishal. Bedavar lach. 
there is, the, there is you, you can cook after cooking when it comes to a liquid. So bringing it to a very hot temperature, whether it's boiling or right below boiling, would constitute the idea of cooking on Shabbat and thus be prohibited. So you can't, you can't do that with a liquid. You can't do that with something that turns into a liquid. So when it comes to the coffee or the tea, you have to make sure that you, take, you first put the water into one cup, and then you pour it into another cup, pour it back into the first cup or a third cup for good measure, and at that point, the water temperature is considered to have been reduced enough where you can make your coffee and your tea, and it's not a problem. Yeah? Anybody familiar with this? We talked about this before? Yes, okay. So here's one of my, one of my pet peeves. I don't really have pet peeves. I, I don't even like that phrase. Oh, that's a pet peeve of mine. The phrase pet peeves. Kidding. So it's when you have like coffee mugs, yeah, and you pour from one to the other. I don't know that anyone else does this. Like, like in the world that somebody would have to think about the good design on this. But you take like a, like a mug, like your favorite IJA coffee mug, and you pour it from one to the other, and like half the water drips down. And you're like, see, these, these paper cups or whatever it is. Yeah, but I'm saying even that J cups, although it's got a nice lip to it, I'm just saying it's still, it's not 100. All right, the IJ cup notwithstanding. IJ mugs are the best. Um, but other mugs, other lesser mugs, you pour from one to the other and half the water spills out on the side. So here's uh -huh. the deal. Yes. Can, can a Jewish person eat a heated cup of chicken soup that was heated by a non-Jewish person on Sabbath? That's a good question. So in general, no, that's a good question. So in general, the rule is that whatever one is not supposed to do, one is not supposed to have others do for them. That's the general rule. Now, are there exceptions? Yes, potentially if you're dealing with like a, on a communal level, let's say you get, and, and I'm very hesitant to give any specific cases because really it's, um, halacha is always like, very particular about like specific cases. But I could imagine in a case where you're dealing with the community in a synagogue, all the lights are off, there can't be the prayers, could you call someone in to help with the lights, you know, and, and, and hint to them and not ask them directly, you know, there, there's, there might be an allowance for that. And, and that's where sometimes that's done. But in general, whatever we're not supposed to do, we're not supposed to have done for us on Shabbat. That's the general rule. Again, exceptions always, but that's, that's the general rule. So here's the deal. When it comes to liquid in a cup, right? So the liquid goes into the cup. It's now localized in that cup. And if it needs to go to a second cup, why would you pour into a second cup? I gave you an example just now why you would need to pour into a second cup, like Shabbat morning, right? If it needs to go into a second cup, you have to pour it from cup one to cup number two. That's the way it goes. And then from cup number two to cup number three. And every time you do that, it takes a certain amount of time, because it's a linear process, from cup one to cup two, cup two to cup three, cup three to cup four, etc. It's almost like, in education, getting back to education, if person A communicates to person B, well, let's just use names, Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain explains, uh, teaches something to Shimon. Now, Shimon has the idea. He taught it to him in a good way. Shimon understands it. So the light went into his mind. He's got it. Beautiful. And then Shimon now wants to relay it, wants to relay this idea to Shimon Levi, to Levi. 
So now he has to explain it, and now Levi gets it. And then Levi shares it with Yehuda. And now this idea is going viral because everyone's sharing it, and it's going from one person to the other. But in that process, it's a linear process. It takes time to move from one place to the other. The reason why it takes time is because the idea is localized in a certain place. And to move from that place to another place requires another step and requires time to move from one vessel to another vessel. So here's the bottom line. Anytime you're dealing with an arpanimi, which we're going to translate, not panini, panimi, which, is trans which we, we would translate as an inner light, the definition of inner light means that the light is going inside the vessel. It has to be trained, trained, i.e., um, limited and defined according to the parameters and characteristics of said vessel. And once it's in the vessel, that's where it's localized. To move from that vessel to another space requires another act of transmission and another amount of time, and that's how the process works. Whereas when it comes to our makiv, an encompassing light, it's not at all like that. An encompassing light is not localized in a vessel. It's shining on its own. The example of which are the lights in a room. You have lights in a room, you turn the lights on, doesn't have to wait until the light fits inside the vessel. The light doesn't, have to ha doesn't even have to match the vessel. You could have a brilliant light inside a very small room, and the light doesn't actually care whether or not a vessel contained the light or didn't contain the light. That's a literal example of light that, that we're, that, that's not about the vessel. It's about the light shining. In other words, the light bulb doesn't say, oh, one second. Um, the vessel is not containing the light, let me, let me modify. Or to give you a better example that's brought in Kabbalah, the sun doesn't get bothered by the fact that there are clouds blocking its rays from reaching the earth. Are you with me? A teacher would get perturbed by that. Not by clouds, but by other distractions that are in between the teacher and the student. You with me? So if the teacher's teaching and there's a cloud, there's some sort of distraction between the teacher and the student, so the teacher is going to endeavor to try to remove the distraction and be able to communicate to the student because that light needs to go inside the mind of the student. So if there's some sort of layer of distraction, it's like, let's clear that away, and now let's refocus. The sun doesn't care. Number one, because it's the sun. It's not thinking. But number two, because the nature of the light of the sun is such that the, light is, the sun is shining. Whether or not anyone on planet Earth is receiving the light is irrelevant to the sun. Are you with me on that? The sun doesn't care whether, it's not like the sun says, ah, there are clouds, let me shine brighter and stronger to try to illuminate the world through the clouds. It's not like the sun says, oh, there are no clouds, I don't need to, to shine as strongly, I can cut back a little bit because I know it's all going straight down. It's not the sun's cheshben. The sun doesn't make a calculation. Why? Because it's, for many reasons, including the fact that it's an ar makif. It's an encompassing light. It's not about um, training or limiting or defining the light per the parameters of the recipient. It's just shining and take it for what it is. It's doing its thing. So getting back to the human being. And this is, again, a very, very important topic and the, the key to today's lesson. The difference between intelligence and desire. Intelligence is localized. Desire is everywhere. 
Intelligence is localized in your mind, in your brain. But desire is not localized in your head. The same desire that can do something to your head can also do something to your foot. Because the moment you desire to move your foot, you move your foot. It doesn't take time until it reaches the foot. Whereas something that originates in the head is something that's intellectual that, that originates in the head is going to take time until it reaches the leg. And the example of that is choreo choreographed dance or a TikTok. I don't know what they call it. A TikTok. 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 Huh? Routine. Routine. Yeah. When you have something that is, that is intellectual, you have something that is deliberate, so it needs to take time to, to, go, to travel from the head to the leg, and the leg might get it wrong. The leg might get it wrong. It's like, okay, wait, I wanted to move that one first, or that way first, or that way second, or exactly with that timing to match whatever music it is, and I didn't get it right, we got to try it again. There's something about that, you know, deliberate, precise, it's, it's, it's calculated movement that requires time to get it right. Whereas that which is a product of will, I want to do it, doesn't take time because will is everywhere in, in the foot as well. We're going to see this inside. and I'm hoping this makes some measure of sense. Um, we're going to do this inside in Chapter 9 in a moment. But first, let's get to some questions. Susan. Okay. Are you, could we interchange the word desire with impulse? So Susan's asking if we could change the word desire for impulse. Sure. In other words, what it's referring to is the will of the soul, what the soul wants. Not how the person thinks, but what the soul wants. Could you call that impulse? Sure. Well, I was thinking of impulse in a negative way. I was thinking that desire was, you're talking about desire in a way that's like, like an addictive, impulsive act. Correct. So I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm a little confused. Yeah, 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 yeah. Desire could mean many things in English, but desire here means like an impulsive desire to do something. And, and that doesn't take, like, a, like you, you want to grab something, your, your hand moves immediately. You don't have to, pro, you don't slow it down and say, well, one second. Now I want to reach my hand out, grab the phone, let me get this right. It's, it's, it's very, it's very immediate. But you're not putting a value on it yet. Oh, no, 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 no. Correct. Okay. This is not a good, bad, or okay. ugly conversation. No, no, no. This is just a mechanics conversation. This is how things, how things work on a mechanical level within, within our bodies, within our beings. That that which we want, wh whether we call it will or desire or impulse or whatever it is, is immediate. Whereas something that is head-based, now I'm thinking about it. Right? Now I'm thinking. And you are calling, you're using the analogy that TikTok dances are intelligent. As an analogy. Yeah, I'm using the analogy that TikTok dances are intelligent, exactly, and therefore take time to get right. Exactly. Now, could that be argued? Sure. Am I going to argue it? No, because whatever, it is what it is. It's no different between, there's no, it's no, there's no difference between a TikTok dance routine, whatever, and, um, in, in this example, and um, a musical, Broadway musical. Okay. Right? It's not intuitive. 
it's not instinctual. Maybe for, what's his name, the Hamilton guy, what's his name? Yeah, maybe for him it's, instinct, it's instinctive. Like the, the, the choreography just came to him, right? But for the, for, the, for the dancers, you have to learn the steps. You have, to, and you have to try it and you have to get your body trained to it. It's something that, requ- that starts in the head. You have to study it, study the moves, and then the body, the body follows. Anytime something starts in the head, whether it ends up in movement in the foot or action in the hand, there's the, the, here's the point. The point is on a mechanics level, there's an amount of time, there's a gap in time between the head and whatever else follows. Whereas there's no gap in time between the impulse and the action. When it comes to impulse, and I like that word, impulse, not good or bad or otherwise, any, any impulse, right? When it comes to impulse, or again, in the language of Kabbalah, ratzon, which I typically translate as desire or will, but impulse works here. Um, you want it, you, 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 there's no, it's, there's no it, it doesn't get checked. Okay, it could get checked by the head and say, hold on, I want it, but should I do it? But that's the head getting in the way. But when it goes straight from desire to action or from impulse to action, there's no gap in time. Whereas when it comes from the head, there will be a gap in time. And, what's, and, and so what's the point of all this? It's to highlight this core truth that's going to be so critical to our conversation. The, the intelligence is localized because it's a light in a vessel. And because it's localized, to move somewhere else requires another step in the process and therefore another amount of time. So chachma, wisdom, is in the brain. To move from the brain to the emotions to the actions takes a few steps and it takes some time. But rutzon, here's the kicker, rutzon, which is will, desire, impulse, whatever you want to call it, rutzon, where is it localized? It's not localized. There's no seat of rutzon. There's no headquarters of rutzon. It's in the head, it's in the eyes, it's in the nose, it's in the mouth, it's in the ears, it's in the hands, it's in the, the right hand, it's in the left hand, it's in the foot. Everywhere, the whole body is a seat to the rutzon. The moment the desire kicks in, Everything is at the ready. So something that's head-based, intellectual-based, to move somewhere else will require some steps. That which is desire-based or impulse-based, right, doesn't take time to move somewhere because that rut zone immediately triggers that, uh, whatever it is part of the body. So again, the difference between chachma, and I'm using the Hebrew words now, or the Kabbalistic words. Chachma and Ratzon, the difference between them, Chachma being wisdom and Ratzon being will, desire, or impulse, right? The difference between Chachma and Ratzon is that Chachma is localized and Ratzon is not localized. Universal? Maybe universal. I don't know. Is maybe Disney, joking. It's, it's open, it's, um, it's ever present, it's, it's everywhere in the body. Now, the example that I gave today about, move, about movement and about dance specifically is, is, is this example, not the TikTok form of the example, but choreo- choreographed dance is actually in the beginning of, of Discourse 9, which we're about to jump into. So I didn't give you my own take on this. He says, essentially, the difference between 
Ratzon and Chachma is that when you want to walk, you start walking. There's no, there's no gap in time. I mean, assuming everything is healthy, you decide to walk, you walk. That's it. But when you need to think about the steps that you need to take for your choreography, it takes time. What, why the difference? Because one, you're using your head. And one, it's just flowing from your, from your desire, from your want, from your impulse. When it flows from impulse, from desire, from will, it goes straight from that desire to the foot. When it's processed by the head, oh, it goes from the head to the heart to the foot. So it takes some time. Now, somebody's going to say one second, but the people that have danced Hamilton, right? Yes? There's, I've never seen Hamilton. I've, there, there's choreography there, correct? Yes. A lot of it. How many musical numbers are there in Hamilton? 20 plus 30. 20 to 30, okay. Do you think, you're going to say, Rabbi, do you think that all of the actors every night on, Ham, uh, the, on Broadway are thinking about their moves? What am I going to say? No. No. You know why? Because it's no longer in their heads. Because now it flows straight from their soul. In the language of Kabbalah, it's from the soul straight to the foot. But when, because they're not thinking about it, but when they were thinking about it, you can bet that it took time. That's the way it works. When something starts in the head, it's not only about the head. Anytime you're dealing with something that's localized to move it somewhere else, it takes time. But once something originates from that pure desire, the will, the movement of the soul, it hits immediately. That, that part, any part of the body. Okay, we're going to do this inside because I feel like if there's any like uncertainty about what exactly I'm saying, like I'm saying, I feel like this, our text is going to decipher it. In other words, the author is, do, is going to be doing a much better job than I am in explaining this. Okay, so let's pass these around. This is new material, chapter 9. We're going to first get these copies here, and then I'm going to pull it up on our screens as well. Okay, here we go. Oh, no worries. You're good. All right. In the meantime, I'm going to grab a, a cup of water from our water dispenser. Speaking about it has gotten me thirsty. Okay. All right. Here we go. Thank you very much. Bam, 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 bam. Discourse number nine. Let's get this pulled up. Give me a moment. Oh, Discourse 9 begins on page 144, 145. That's actually helpful for me as well as I scroll through this PDF. 144, 145. Here we go. Okay. This is such good stuff. Okay, let's... Uh
Okay, here we go. Uh, can you guys see my screen? Yes? Beautiful. All right, chapter 9. Sorry, Discourse 9, chapter 1. Here we go. Intellect versus will. Now, if you... This is a long wall of text. Do you see that? No different paragraphs. It's just one long wall of text. And he's going to distinguish here between intellect, which again is uh, one of the, the, the key, the core of which is chachma, intellect versus will, ratzon, will, desire, impulse. So he says the root of the matter is as follows. The root of what matter? Uh, the what? The root of what matter? So if you look at footnote one one ninety eight says, i.e. that Chachma is the first stage of Ishtashlut, that, that Chachma begins this orderly um, light in vessel process. So he explains. The root of the matter is as follows. Ishtashlut, which, again, Ishtashlut means the, the orderly evolution of things. Ishtashlut may be understood as an inner light. I don't like the translation, may be understood. It's not maybe understood. It is. Hishashlut is an inner light. What does that mean? Meaning the investment of light into its corresponding vessel. The way Hishashlut works is that light goes into vessel. right? So like my example of, um, of water in a cup, you pour water into one cup, and then that cup pours into another cup, and that cup pours into a third cup, and the third cup into the fourth cup, and progressively, step by step, the water moves from one space to another, to another, to another. Or ideas, ideas that spread, understood by one person, then another person, then another person, then another person. In each case, the light is going into the vessel, and then the light goes into another vessel, and then so on and so forth. So he says, Hishtalshalot, the 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 reality that we live in, which is governed by this kind of cause and effect or evolution or spiritual devolution where the light goes down successive levels, all of that happens in a way of light and vessel. And what's the first vessel? Where's the first time that light goes into a vessel? The first of the vessels, third line, the first of the vessels is Chachma. Which means, by the way, that beyond Chachma, above Chachma, there are no vessels. What do you have? Just the light, the Aryan Sof, the infinite light. So again, just to, just to be clarify here. When, and this is referring to the way it is spiritually. We're soon going to get to the next line. The fourth line here says, with man too. And now we bring the human example of this as a, as a, as a parallel. But before we get to the human example, the way it exists spiritually, there is something called the Aryan Sof, which is the infinite light. And then I'll ask you a question, well, where is the infinite light? And what's your answer? <laughs> Everywhere. What do you mean, where is the infinite light? You put into a box, it's no longer infinite light. Infinite light, by definition, means there's no vessel that's containing it. So where's the first time, it's not a trivia question, but it's, it's the, what we're talking about right now. Where's the first time, where's the first stage in which the light is contained in a vessel? Chachma. That's the answer. Right? We just had the answer. Chachma is the first of the vessels. The first of the vessels is Chachma. That's what we just said. That means that beyond Chachma is infinite light. Chachma is the first time that the light now has a definition inside a defined vessel, and now it's chachma. It's something that we call wisdom. Beyond chachma, what is it? It's light. Now in chachma, it's chachma. And where's chachma? In the mind. Well, 
above, it's wherever it is, but Chachma is in a certain place or in a certain reality, in a certain zone, dimension. It has its definition. It has the, the limitations of light and vessel, and that's what it is. Let's continue inside. With man too, and man again, not gender specifically, means with human, with human beings too, his first power that finds an abode in a part, listen to this, the first power that finds an abode in a particular vessel and bodily organ is Chachma. Beyond Chachma, the powers of the soul are not localized. The first, the highest, the first and highest power of the soul, of the human soul, that's localized in a specific location to the exclusion of other locations is Chachma. Because beyond Chachma, there's no localization. For example, he says, willpower. That, that word willpower in Hebrew is again ratzon, which we can translate as will, willpower, desire, or impulse. Whatever you want to translate it in Hebrew, it's ratzon. That ratzon transcends chachma and has no designated organ to harbor it. It pervades all the body equally. There is no particular seat to impulse. Your hand can move by the impulse. Your foot can move by impulse. Your head can move by impulse. Any part of your being can move from that impulse, desire, willpower, whatever you want to call it, directly controlled by that force. It's not localized in a specific part of the body. The entire body is its space. And by the way, Kabbalah also explains, I don't know if we're going to get to it here, I don't think we're going to get to it here. The way it operates is not in a way that takes the vessel into consideration like when we teach, we take the recipient into consideration. It, brute force. Ratzon operates by brute force. This, this is what we're doing. We're not going to get in the way. That's why it says, Ein Nothing stands in the way of will. That will, the desire for something, is... Um, this is what, what Viktor Frankl tapped into with his logotherapy. Right? What did he tap into? That the desire to live right, can help a person overcome, the mo I mean, not everything, right? obviously, but overcome incredible obstacles when you have the desire. And then he said, and what gives a person desire to live? It's having a why. What am I living for? But essentially what that is, is a trigger for why I want to live. And then once I have a desire, then now that's going to take me through. So it, it's very similar to what Kabbalah says about will. That is, nothing stands in front of what you want. Or in English, we would say, where there's a will, help me out here, there's a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. And again, what does that mean? That when you want something, it's going to happen. One could argue that if it didn't happen, what does that mean? You didn't really want it. Now again, could there be objective obstacles that got in the way even though I did want it? Sure. So again, nothing that we're saying here is absolute. But within this non-absolute world that we live in, we could generally say that when we want something, typically it gets done. Whereas when it doesn't get done, it means, well, maybe the rutzon, maybe the desire wasn't there. 
This is all to bring out this other point, the second point when it comes to Ratzon. Not only is it not localized in a specific part of the body, but it doesn't take the vessel into consideration. See, light and vessel, the light's got to work, it's got to be compatible. You've got to put the right amount of water into the vessel. Well, when the light is just shining, and it's not, it's not localized in a vessel, it doesn't care about the vessel, so brute force. So let's get back over here. Let's get back to the one, two, three, four, fifth line. Last word in the line, which is willpower. I know we said it, we're going to do it again. Willpower, or ratzon, transcends chachma and has no designated organ to harbor it. It pervades all the body or the entire body equally. True, he says. True, it is more obvious in the mind. For the intellect is aware of the will in a far more penetrating matter, manner than is the foot. So a person says, well, one second. No, my, even my will, my desire, my impulse is more in my head. He says, no, it's not. It's not more in your, it's not in your head more than anywhere else. Your head, because your head is the seat of awareness, so you're aware of the will more in your head. But it's not like the will is more tied into your brain than anywhere else. It's not more of a vessel. It's just that's the nature of the head is that it's aware of things. So it's more, yes, true, it's more obvious in the mind for the intellect is aware of the will in a far more penetrating manner than it is the foot. But the will per se lodges in the foot no less than in the brain. The, the, the distinction here is that intellect, intelligence, is definitely first in the head and then goes elsewhere. Whereas willpower is not a head thing. It's not in the head, it's everywhere. Let's continue. Thus, and now he gives the example that I've been giving this morning. Thus, when one wills to move his foot, so a person desires to move their foot, the reaction is instantaneous. It happens immediately. You decide to move, you start moving. You decide to walk, you're walking. That's it. It doesn't take, there's no gap in time. If the will, he says, to contrast it, if the will is harbored in the brain as his intellect, right? If that were the case, that a person's will would be in their head or in their brain, then the movement should not be instantaneous. It would take time. For example, and here he gets the TikTok or ancient examples of TikTok. For example, when the mind exercises dominion over the foot in a march, say, <laughs> think about a march, a very choreographed march, and now you're trying to follow along with the right moves, with the march, okay? So when the mind is exercising dominance over, dominion over the foot, the mind is telling the foot, no, 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 move it this way, no, 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 move it that way, no, no, you're getting it wrong, right? When the mind is controlling the foot, the foot's obedience is not instant, Training and deliberativeness are required. It takes training, and it takes slow and steady training. You ever see what happens in a dance studio learning the steps? It takes time. It takes time. It doesn't happen like that. Why? Because it's not coming from impulse. It's coming from intelligence. It's coming from seichel. We have, we have a plan. We decided that it makes sense. You go cha-cha-cha. And then cha-cha-chi, I don't know, whatever. You go, you go this way, you go that way. You move this, you do that. You twist, you twirl, you jump, you hop, right? Your hands, the feet, everything. That's when the head is controlling things. So when the head controls something, it takes time. 
there's a, there's a method, you got to go slow, you got you to gotta train, all that stuff. Whereas when the willpower says to the foot move, it moves exactly the way we want, right? Because it's not being controlled by the head, but by the will, desire. So when it comes to deliberate movement of the head, the head's deliberate movement, it takes time. And he says, why is this so? This is the key, this is the key line over here. This is because intellect proceeds by progression, investing in the manner of inner light. This is because the entire realm of intelligence, of intellect, is light in vessel. It's an arpanemian inner light that requires a vessel. And thus, to move from one to the other, it has to go with a progression. Look what he says, next line. Intellect is actually clothed in the brain. Right? So the intelligence, the intellect, the chachma. Let's see if he uses chachma or seichel here. Give me a second here. No, seichel, he says. Okay, intellect. Intellect or intelligence is actually clothed in the brain. So it's a light in a vessel. The brain is the vessel that houses the intelligence. And it progresses from its abode in the brain from power to power, from koach to koach, from one power to the other. For example, it might go from intellect to emotion, etc. I'm adding that word, etc. Until it reaches the power of movement in the foot, always in the method of investment that the light of intellect is actually clothed in the foot's power of movement. The way it works is that first the light of the intellect goes into the brain. And then that whole package gets moved over to the heart for the, for the emotions. And then it goes ultimately to the foot. And the actual idea is now in the foot. The foot is actually carrying out the idea that the mind had as far as the choreography. For this, and in other words, to achieve this, time, involvement, and effort are necessary. So it requires three things. He says time. It doesn't happen instantaneously. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about how should I move my foot? How should I move my legs? How should I move my arms? How should I move my body? Right? So it takes time. It takes involvement. Right? You have to like, you know, really be, be focused on it. And it takes effort. It takes, it takes hard work to get it right. Yeah, if you want to go like this, boom, 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 whatever, some TikTok hand motions, it takes time. It takes involvement, and it takes effort. That's when it comes to things that originate in the head. So he argues, here's his argument. Were the will, if we would say that the will, the desire, was also lodged in some particular vessel, there would need to be some similar time lapse and involvement before he could act in the foot. In other words, if will was also localized somewhere, then it would take time to hit the foot. But this does not occur. In other words, the truth is, that's not what happens. It doesn't take any time. The moment you want to walk, the moment you want to move, again, assuming the foot is healthy, assuming the body is healthy. Obviously, if they're... Listen, if a person, God forbid, you know, twisted their ankle and can't, st and can't put weight on it, right? Obviously, you know, what we're saying here doesn't apply, but that's because the... Um, the ultimate vessel is not, is not ready, is, 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 not, uh, is not capable of, of, of carrying out the will. The point here really is 
that will has a direct line to every part of the body without going through some sort of orderly system. So intelligence goes through a process. It's kind of like in a corporation. You want a reimbursement, right? You bought school supplies for your class, Susan, right? And now you want, uh, true story. And now you want, and now you want reimbursement, right? I mean, notoriously, teachers spend from their own money to buy, to buy school supplies. But let's say, let's say there was a method to get some money back, right, reimbursement. Well, you would have to submit an invoice to this department. They would have to contact that department and then get from a th approval from a, th and then it has to go up and then back down until finally you get, so sorry, but we, don't, we can't pay it now. No, I'm kidding. Finally, you get some sort of uh, reimbursement, right? Again, it's not any, any particular, I'm not speaking any particular, I'm speaking in general, right? That's how things work. There's a, there's, a, there's a process, and every process requires steps, and because it requires steps, it requires time as well for those steps to happen. The same thing is true with anything that originates in the head, whether we're talking about dance or anything else. Right? If it's in the head, it, it's following a process. It has to go from this checkpoint to that checkpoint to another checkpoint to another checkpoint until finally it reaches destination. And because it has to check down, it has to make multiple stops, it's going to take time. But imagine, imagine there was a force in this school that was all pervasive. A person. Right? And the moment you needed the reimbursement, boom, it was right there. Instant. You know what we call that? A school credit card. Right? Boom. The moment you need it, it's right there. Yeah, it's instantaneous. This is what Rutzon is. Rutzon will does not stop, does not go through a process till it hits the foot. Rutzon goes straight to the foot. So there's no time, there's no effort. There's no involvement. There's no meditation required. It goes straight to the foot. That's it. Now, if the foot's, not, if the foot's completely not capable because it's incapacitated, God forbid, well, then, of course, then, then it's not going to work. But other than that, it's instant. So, again, the simple point is like this. That which is part of the system takes time. It's got to go through the steps. That which is beyond the system goes immediately. And that's his argument in this verse that we just read. Oh, so yeah, Dan. Um, it seems to me that the word memorization is useful here. Good, memorizing the steps. Right, once they're memorized, you don't have to go to the end. Right, once you memorize the steps, so then you're not intellectually processing it. It's more of like a training where your body is is in sync with that, with that movement on a place that transcends the typical, okay, hold on, is this right? Is that right? Is the other thing right? Is the other thing right? I mean, think about all of the things that the body has to do to breathe, right? Maybe don't think about it. But in order to breathe, right, there's a lot of biological, physiological, physiological steps that happen with every breath that we take. You start thinking about that, you might get a little anxious, right? It's like, oh my God, am I doing it right? Because now you're thinking about it. But though it works, okay, I don't know if this is a good example or not, but it, 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 but it works seamlessly. But once the head is involved, then things take a bit of a different, a different structure. So, um, 
Okay, so I want to go back to the sentence. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines from the bottom. Were the will. Were the will. Were the will also lodged in some particular vessel. If the will wasn't directly interfacing with the final step, but if it was lodged, in, if it wasn't universal, if it was very particular, there would need to be some time, some, t uh, some similar time lapse and involvement before it could act in the foot, but this does not occur. Why? For the will, and this is the key idea, the will is not particularized. It lodges in the foot as in the brain. So wisdom lies in the brain. Intelligence lies in the brain. Emotions rest in the heart. Will, desire, impulse, everywhere. In the foot as in the brain. The first of the powers that does lodge in a vessel is the power called Chachma lodging in the brain. The brain, he says to clarify, is divided into three. There are three parts of the brain. Now, does that mean right brain, left brain, and then, you know, either the frontal part or the back? I don't know. We've, we've had many conversations about this in the past, whether it does or does not. Um, actually work like that on a, on a physical level. But either way, Kabbalah speaks of the brain being divided into three either physical or metaphysical sections, which parallel, paralleling the three intellectual powers, Chachma, Bina, and Dat. So there are three intellectual powers, Chachma, which is the power of intellectual creativity, Bino, which is, which is the power of intellectual analysis, and that which is the, which is the power of intellectual um, focus and connectedness. So these are three different capacities of the mind. Some people can think creatively. Some people are better at analytics. And some people are good at connecting the dots. You see what I did there with that? Some people are good at kind of like, okay, so now we have all these ideas, so let's, 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 let's so, so now what? You can have a meeting that goes on for an hour and everyone has all these great ideas and creative ideas and analyses. The question is, so now what? So that's another power of the mind to say, okay, so we have all this information, therefore what? And, draw, and connect the dots and, and make, a, make, make a plan forward. So that's the power of that. So we have Chachma Bin and Dat. And there are three parts of the brain that house these three intellectual abilities. But what's the point? The first power of the soul that goes into a localized space is Chachma. Let's continue. After that, after the three emotions, sorry, after the three points of intelligence, which are housed in the brain, emotions, bottom line here on page 144, the emotions or emotions lodge in the 146, in the heart. And all the other powers also have particular vessels and organs. So every power of the soul has its space, its vessel, its organ of the body that houses it. You know, moving away from in in intellect and emotions, let me give you a simple example. Yeah? The power of eyesight. The power to see. Where is that? Where is it localized? Which physical part of the body is that localized in? It's not a trick question. It's like the organ of the brain. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying where, where, is, where is sight oh. localized? The eyes, right? Where is smell localized? In the nose, taste, in the mouth, hearing, the ears, right? 
So we have these powers of the soul. And how do I know it's a power of the soul? Because you have a person who passes away, God forbid. The eyes are still there. But they, don't, they can't see, at least as far as we know they can't see, right? Because the, the, the soul power is gone. That power of the soul is no longer there. So sight is a power of the soul that operates in a physical organ. So if the, if the soul power is gone, or if the body, as I said before, or if the body is, God forbid, damaged to the point that the vessel is no longer able to receive that, 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 that light of the soul, so then that power of the body is not going to work. All of these are examples of soul powers that operate inside a vessel. And because they operate inside a vessel, they're localized. And because they're localized, to move from one space to another space requires time and effort and a deliberate process. Does that make sense? Yeah, Question. Susan, sure. Um, this, this particular Kabbalah and coffee has been kind of confusing to me. Um, I'm wondering um, what is sort of the takeaway from this, like the practical implications, or if there might not be one, it might be building up to something else. Yeah. And I'm wondering too about the, the word desire and the idea that you're saying it's, it's, it doesn't take time, it's not part of the system, is what you said. And then I'm thinking about the Yetzirah, how it works its way in us, giving us time to build up, to do, do, do a desire that might not necessarily be healthy or skillful. Right. So Good. I, I think it might be that it, there's some translation issues, or it might be me. I don't know. No, good question. So let me, let me repeat your question. So, so Susan asked two questions. Number one. What's the practical implications of what we're speaking about? And number two, it seems like sometimes desire or that which comes from the evil inclinations desire does take time in order to kind of um, percolate and brew and kind of get us on board, hopefully not, but into a negative place. And, and, and we speak about how in the Talmud, how, you know, the craft of the eight of the evil inclination is slow. It goes day one, day two, day three. And so it seems to be also a deliberate process. Good. So two very good questions. Where we're trying to go with all of this is to say, so here's the, here's the bigger picture idea. The bigger picture idea is really the way it operates on high. We're using, in other words, on, on a spiritual level, we're using the human being, the human body, as the parallel, as the example. The way it works on high is that there is a system, a system that's very calculated and very deliberate. And so if this makes sense, then it moves on to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. The, really, the best example I could give for that is the example that I gave a few moments ago about the reimbursement. Like, if you submit an invoice, somebody submits an invoice, and it's looked at, and it makes sense, then it's passed on to the next department, the next department, the next department, until finally a check reaches the recipient. But it has to make sense in order to get paid. If it doesn't make sense, if it gets flagged, if, it, if, it's, not a pro, if it's not a legitimate charge, or legitimate expense, then it's not going to get paid. That's the way it works. But when you transcend the system, if you were able, theoretically, to transcend the system, to go outside or beyond the system of this hierarchical, structured, 
logistical, logical system where it has to make sense to go from one place to the other. There's checkpoints where you check it out and verify and validate. If you're able to go outside that system, then you could get the reimbursement, let's say, with a non-legitimate invoice. You wouldn't even need to present an invoice to be able to just take from that space. So this goes back to our conversations that we've been having. How do the wicked prosper? Right? How is it that sometimes there is a force of negativity in the world that seems to have so much energy that, and so successful? How, where does it come from? If God wants things to be good and wants things to look a certain way, so then how could it be that evil prospers? How could it be that, 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 that there's so much force of negativity in the world? Where does that come from? And what's the answer? The answer is, it goes outside the system. When you're inside the system, so it's deliberate, it's locked down. When you go outside the system, then it opens up. To understand the distinction between operating in the system and operating out of the system, he uses a human example of the difference between intelligence or the mind and the, um, uh, the, the will or desire. And the difference there is that one operates in the system, and therefore it requires a step-by-step -step process, and the other one operates outside the system, which means it's more instantaneous. Now, to your so that's where we're headed, and that's where the payoff is, to your first question. To the second question, which is, yeah, but when it comes to the Sahara, the evil inclination, so it seems like it has to explain to us why it's a good idea for us to mess up. And so my answer for that would be, my response to that would be, correct, that would not be... Um, a pure desire that we're talking about right here. In other words, that would be something that is not pure and organic. That's something that has to be, that we have to be convinced of almost, right? So certain things we need to be convinced of. Certain things, by the way, we don't need to be convinced of, right? Certain things are more, are more intuitive or more natural. But certain things are, require some, some, you know, breaking it down and making it palatable and saying, okay, take step one here, take step two there, take step three there, and then eventually, in a negative way, and then eventually, you know, there's the cliff that you fall off of, God forbid. So, so sometimes it's like that, what you're saying. Sometimes it's more impulsive, but even without focusing on a negative connotation, his connotation in, in chapter one here that we just read is moving the foot, taking a step, walking. It's not something bad. It's not something, it's, it, it just, it's just movement. And so movement could be controlled by the mind or by the impulse of the soul. And one operates in a system and therefore requires time and, and intentionality. And the other is outside the system and is immediate. And that's what we're talking about here. On a bigger level, which we're going to get to right now in chapter 2, and I do want to read some of this in chapter 2. What we're going to get to is that on high as well, in the cosmic realms, you have the same duality. There's the system which is very deliberate and very um, uh, method-based. It's method-centric. So it's, does it make sense? Should it move forward? Checkpoint, yes, okay. Should it move forward? Yes, okay, makes sense. And it has to make sense. And in that system, only good prevails because evil doesn't get past that, those checkpoints. Like it's not, it's not, the invoice is not going to get paid. It's in, in a... In a in a, in a method-based system, there's too many checkpoints for that to happen. But when you go outside the system or beyond the system, all bets are off. 
Chapter 2, let's do this right now inside. Exactly what I, hopefully, exactly what I said will be written here. Hishalshalot versus infinite. Hishalshalot again means the orderly check down system of check, 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 or one point to the other point to the other point, etc. So versus the infinite, which is the beyond. The parallel on high can now be understood, he says in the opening sentence of chapter 2. The 10 sefirot of Atzilut. So let me explain. Atzilut is the highest world. Beyond Atzilut is the audience of the infinite light. So Atzilut is the first emanation called the world of emanation, the first emanation of a reality that we call a world. And that world of Atzilut is highlighted or punctuated by 10 distinct sefirot energies, each of which is a light in a vessel. It's a light in a vessel times 10, and that constitutes the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation. The 10 sefirot of Atzilut are investments of light into vessels. The first, the highest, the starting point of that is the sefirah of Chachma. So in Atzilut, the highest world, the world of emanation, again, there's beyond Atzilut is the infinite light, but Atzilut is the first emanated world that begins with the energy of Chachma, right? Sorry, that has 10 sefirot, the first of which is Chachma. In fact, Chachma is called Reshit first. Reshit Chachma. It's actually a phrase in scripture. Reshit Chachma. Chachma is Reshit. It's the first because it is the first step in the order of Hishtalshalot. And the Hishtalshalot means this chain of, um, of evolution, this evolutionary chain of, of being. And the progression proceeds from Chachma to the next attribute, Bina, uh, to the next attribute, Bina. In soul powers, the point of Chachma illuminates the comprehension of Bina. Right, so as we've discussed many, many times, when it comes to the human interaction between Chachma and Bina, Chachma is, the, is that creative idea that's not yet fleshed out. It's a point, it's a seminal point, and that's what illuminates inside the comprehension of Bina. Bina develops the idea of Chachma. So Chachma is, wow, wouldn't it be great if... And then Bina is like, okay, so how do we do that? Bina figures it out. Um, Bina is the mother of the offspring giving birth to emotions. So Bina then not only develops Chachma, but it gives birth to the emotions. It moves the ball forward. So what happens here is there's a step-by-step process. It begins with Chachma. It goes to Bina. It goes to the emotions. Well, Das, and then the emotions, etc. Step-by-step. And so it is with the supernal Sefirot. That's the way it is within us. The same thing is true above. From Chachma, the progression proceeds to Bina. And then from intellect to emotion, always with the light inhabiting the vessel. And what that means is it has to make sense. It has to be logical. It has to be fitting. Like, again, going to my example, going back to my example of getting that invoice paid, it first goes to, I don't know, whatever, this department checks it out, verifies it, passes it on to the next department. They check it out. Yes, it makes sense. So on and so forth to the accounting department, to the person who prints the check, to the person who brings the check and puts it in everyone's you know box of stuff, whatever it is. So it moves from a progression. It moves with a progression from one space, from one point to the other. Chachma, the bina, from intellect to emotion, light in vessel. That's the way it works. This first paragraph is the way it works within hishtalshulud, within the order, within this realm of orderly progression. However, the in- second paragraph, the infinite light transcending Hishtal is not light in vessel, rather it's an encompassing light. 
not invested at all in any vessels. It doesn't have to make sense, is the point. This, not this concept, but the light doesn't have to fit the vessel. It doesn't have to, it's not boxed in. This is similar to what we discussed above, chapter 1, about, about, about the will, the will of the soul, willpower. Not having any particular organ and therefore cannot be an inner light, but must be encompassing. It's not localized. It's not inside one. It's like, oh, you know where the will is in the body? It's in the nose. No, I can want to smell. I can want to see. I can want to taste. I can want to walk. I can want to touch. I can want all of the above. So the, the, the core point of desire is not in one specific place in the body. It's everywhere. Right? Likewise, so it's an encompassing light. It's not an inner light that works in a, in a specific vessel, which then would need to move from one place to another. Check that. Checkpoints. One, two, three, four, five. No, it's everywhere. Simultaneously. It hits any point at any, at any time. Likewise. The parallel of the infinite light, which transcends the Shtalshalot, is not encased within any vessel, but is an encompassing light. So, what we have here are two systems. There is the system of order and the system beyond order. In the orderly system, which what we call Shtalshalot, right? Light is in vessel. Things progress from one to the other. Chachma, Bina, Dat, Chesed, Gevura. Everything is step by step. Chachma to Bina, intellect to emotions, etc. Above Shtalshalot, the infinite light is, is available. So here's the payoff. And, and that's why we need to read this because otherwise we're left a bit floating here. It's going to feel like the infinite light. So let's, let's, let's break it down right here. Hence, like therefore what? Here we go. Within his shalot, within the system, there is judgment and reckoning for the beneficence. In order for the check to get paid, it needs to be evaluated and assessed. There's a judgment and a reckoning. That's within the system. Because light in vessel means that it makes sense. And then from one, one, one degree to the, to the next also means it has to make sense. But, what, sorry, while higher than the system, above the system of Ashtalshalut, the beneficence bestowed is not by judging and account taking. Let's continue on page 148. Hishtalshalut, being an inner light, um, okay, you know, he's going to explain some concepts here. I think we might be okay with what we just read. I, I'd rather, um, uh, you know what, let's just read through it and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up next week. Hishtalshlut, the, the, or, the, the, the orderly structure, being an inner light, lights within vessels, requires a vessel appropriate for the revelation of that light. Whatever is inappropriate for that revelation cannot harbor that light. The vessel fit to reveal God is bittel. In other words, what is the most appropriate vessel to receive the, the, the divine light? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vessel that, that, that's empty. An empty vessel is the most appropriate vessel to receive God's light. Whatever is null, whatever is self-nullified, if you will, in the presence of God, is a vehicle to receive the revelation of the light. The infinite light lodges only in a place of bittal, only a place of self-effacement. 
For this reason, the primary sanctuary of the infant light is Chachma for Chachma's Chachma. Bittal is noted in Tanya chapter 35 in the gloss. Again, I'm running through this a little bit quickly, but the point is that in this system called Heshtashlut, where light goes in a vessel, what makes a vessel a vessel? The fact that it's empty of any other um, uh, influences. So the emptier the vessel, the more it can receive the light. By contrast, let's do the next paragraph, but whatever is in a state of selfhood, conscious, consciousness of one's entity. So if the vessel says, whoa, one second, God may be amazing, but have you seen me lately? I'm pretty cool too, right? I just posted a TikTok video. What do you mean? Like, look at this. I got the hand motions, right? Right. I got that whole thing going on. Like, look at me. So that's a vessel that's a little stuffed up, that's a little full of itself. So God says, he and I cannot dwell together. It's like, th this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Like, if you're taking up all that space, then there's no space for me to go in. He, the person, is no vessel for the revelation of the God of the vitality. So ego, essentially what we're saying here, ego is the ultimate, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ego is the kryptonite of divine presence. It, it pushes away the divine revelation. Only what has attained to bittal can be this instrument. The only vessel is that which is bittal, which, which has bittal, which is, which, which, is, which is absence of self. And that includes the entire realm of holiness, which is null, and there God's holiness lodges, as Tanya explains, see there. So, in other words, what's the most appropriate vessel to godly light is an absence of ego. The less ego, the more divine light is there. The more ego, the less divine light. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inverse um, equation. Thus, in other words, the more you're there, the less God is there. The less you're there, the more God is there. That's the way it works. Thus, within, and that's the way it works within the system, with, within the system of light and vessel. Thus, within Seder Shashal, within the, the, the order, the system, there is judgment and evaluation to determine if he is fit for the divine light and vitality. So in other words, and every step of the way, the question is, okay, is this vessel a, an open vessel or is there too much ego here? That's the question each step of the way in this progression. Whatever is not null before him, but is a separate entity, cannot receive from the holiness of God, except from the hinder part of externality, as noted above in previous um, discourses, in reference to the vitality received by the Sishrachar called other gods. Only he who is null in his presence, in God's presence, who fulfills God's will, is fit for the bestowal of life from the light of his holiness. So in the system called Hishtalshla, where light goes into vessel, the light pays attention to the vessel and says to the vessel, okay, are you a vessel or are you not a vessel? If the cup is full... Right? If, you if you go over to the water um, dispenser with a full cup and the water dispenser could speak, you know what it would say? You're already full. I can't give anymore because it's already, it's, already, it's already full. So we're done. So when we talk about the system, of the light flowing down, light, vessel, light, vessel, light, vessel, light, vessel, what allows the flow to keep on flowing are empty vessels. If at any point it senses an ego, right? It repels the light. It blocks the light from continuing down. So therefore, by definition, evil or unholiness repels the divine force. And that means, again, by definition, the light and energy and blessing should not flow to a space of evil. Which begs the question, how does evil prosper? And the answer we have already, because all of this is in the system. In the system of light vessel where the vessel is being examined. But what about beyond the system? There's no light. Sorry, there's no vessel for the light. The light is everywhere. The light is accessible. The light is immediate. 
there's no check down system where the light is limiting itself to a vessel that needs to be appropriate. Thus, even evil can rise up to that level beyond the system and get its energy and vitality from there. Okay, that's where we're going with this, which he's going to develop in chapter 3, which is coming up next week. Okay? Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Next week, he's going to give four reasons for the judgment of the vessel. Like, why is there a question about is the vessel a, a um, if the vessel has, has the integrity to be a vessel, he's going to explain that there's four reasons for this. He's going to break it down further and, and give rationales, and then we're going to get back to the, to the other system, which is the beyond the system system. So what's the Nakuda for today? What's the point for today? I start out with TikTok, and I feel like I want to end with TikTok. Um, right, because everything is better when it ends with TikTok. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mariana. Um, I just saw the chat. Um, TikTok, yeah? So... So there's spontaneous and deliberate. That which is deliberate is coming from the head and it has to make sense and it's processed by the mind and it takes time, step by step, etc. That which is spontaneous just happens. The same thing is true above. There's a system that's deliberate and a system that's a little bit more spontaneous. The system that's deliberate says there's divine light. Where is it going? To this vessel, to this location? Are you sure? Does it make sense? Is there that bitul? Is, it, is, it, is there that nullification there? Is it holy? Is it appropriate? Yes, good. Not, that's it. Can't go there. That's within the system of Ashtashul. But then there's that spontaneous, I don't know if that's the right word, that kind of irrational or super rational, super logical space, that transcendent light space where the light shines in its full magnitude, and it's not being checked down, it's not being evaluated every step of the way. And the recipient is not being examined. And thus, from that dimension, even evil can rise up, theoretically, and take energy from that space. All right, so what's the message? What's the takeaway message? Shoot more TikTok videos. Go viral. But don't forget to live spontaneously as well, right? We need to live. If we were to kind of take a message for our lives from our discussion, I would say like this. We need to have both in our lives. We need to, ha- we need to live deliberate lives. In other words, logical lives. We need to do things that make sense, light in vessel. At the same time, it's good also to jump into things that are holy. I'm not, I'm not advocating jumping into negativity, but jumping into holy things, even when maybe the vessel's not there. Sometimes we think, well, I can't do that mitzvah. Right? I'm not ready for it. Let's not shortchange ourselves. You know what? Let's tap into that infinite light energy. Not only the, the limited energy that needs a vessel ready to go, but that, that infinite energy that's ready to jump into something that might be beyond our space. So this week, let's do things that we're ready for, and let's also maybe do one or two things, good deeds, that logically we might not be ready for, but that our soul and its pure connection, infinite connection with God, is ready for. All right, let's, uh, let's take on the week. Let's create great, great things. Thank you. Um, a few quick points of announcement. Um, I think three things. Very quickly, tonight we have a film. And I cannot believe I haven't mentioned this yet. Everyone who's heard me talk about this film tonight has heard me talk about the film, the, the, the subject matter of the film, which is beautiful, powerful, and funny, 
and um, talk, up, talk about the Chinese dinner tonight that we're doing. But I didn't mention this. Shtissel. The father in Shtissel is the main actor in tonight's film. Shtissel. Anyway, for what it's worth. You like Shtissel? You'll love tonight's film, Shoelaces, an Israeli independent film. Up for, was up for seven Israeli Academy Awards. I don't know what they give out. I don't know what the thing looks like, if it looks like the Oscar, or if it looks like uh, an Oscar with a beard. Who knows? But nonetheless. <laughs> anyway, not suggesting that Israel is full of beards, but nonetheless. Um, so that's tonight at 8 o'clock. So join us right here at Chabad in the parking lot. We're going to transform it into a theater with a huge screen. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the good news is it's a school night, so it's perfect for... Um, for spending late nights <laughs> watching film and eating, uh, eating Chinese food. All right, next, next announcement tomorrow night. Learn how Jewish scribes work. Learn the process of mezuzot and tefillin and Torah scrolls. We're going to have a, an authentic and expert Jewish scribe do a scribal workshop. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll have a chance to pick up a mezuzah, to check your mezuzahs, etc. That is tomorrow night. Next announcement is this week is the National Jewish Retreat right here in Atlanta. Join us for that. Join um, over five, 600 people from around the country and around the world celebrating Jewish study and Jewish experience. Great food, great lectures, great entertainment, all with a Jewish theme. That's happening this week at the resort and conference center at Stone Mountain right outside of Atlanta. For more information for that, go to J retreat.com, J-R-E-T-R-E-A-T.com. And if you are looking for a discount code, I got one for you. It's I-J-A. It'll take $100 off the, the registration. If you need more of a discount, let me know, and I can try to reach out to JLI and make it happen. Next announcement is Rosh Chodesh Elul. I said three announcements, but you got a bonus announcement. Today is Rosh Chodesh. We have two days of Rosh Chodesh, today and tomorrow. I mentioned that tonight is my son's birthday, but today is also Rosh Chodesh Elul. To today, tomorrow, etc., is also Yom Tzedakah, a day of giving. And so everybody, it's the, there's a custom. And um, my dear friends, Alex and Mariana, who, who join us here at Kabbalah and Coffee, um, are big advocates of this as well. This beautiful idea of a day dedicated to giving. Every day we should give. We should give tzedakah every day. In fact, it's always good to have a little pushka or a big pushka, tzedakah box, on, in our houses, the Rebbe was an advocate of actually fixing a, a, a tzedakah box to your wall. I know some people who have one attached to their wall, right? It's a good thing to have a tzedakah box part of your house, part of the fabric of the structure of your home should be this idea of not just taking but also giving. Um, so every day it's good to give, but especially on a day like Rosh Chodesh El, the first of El, 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, as we get focused on a new year. And on, on what we need, asking Hashem for what we need, let's turn our attention to what others need and reach out and give tzedakah in a greater measure on these special days of Rosh Chodesh. All right, so with that, I'll sign off. And uh, thank you all for joining. We'll see you guys soon. Take thank care. Thank you very much, Ari. My pleasure, my pleasure. Alex, it's great to hear you. Thank you very much. Mariana, it's great to hear you. Thank you for your words. All right, Chodesh Tov. And uh, blessings for everybody. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. All right, take care, everyone. Thank you.